You're listening to Deep Cuts with Antoine Reed, episode 53, with special guest Eli Lagaretta. Hey, what's going on, brother? Good. How are you? I'm doing good. I'm doing good. It's almost the weekend, so I know one one day closer, man. Light at the end of the tunnel. I know. Have you? I know at the beginning of the pandemic, people were like, "Oh, every day feels like Friday." But is that the, is that the case with you? Because still, even during the pandemic, the week felt like this one long Monday until we got to the weekend. <laughs> Yeah, you know, in the beginning of it, I'd say last year when it first kicked off and things were nuts and people were having to go out and quarantine, it did feel like that. But I'd say around like maybe May, June, it just because what I do for my nine to five, it's, it was consistent. I was kind of doing a pseudo work from home and then out in the field. So it still pertained to me. Um, and then in the, in the same breath, Fridays to me meant that I was going to be DJing that night. So it's kind of like Friday comes and I wasn't. I was just like, what the hell am I going to do with myself? You know? <laughs> It's like the weekend's here and I'm not at no club or I'm not doing anything. So it was it's still an adjustment to get through to this day. So, you know, hopefully these keep opening up. I know. Do you, like, when do you think you might go back to having gigs and stuff like that? Or is that still kind of up in the air? It's still kind of up in the air. Uh, I know here in Illinois, the rules have been really more stricter with our governor and the mayors in the city of Chicago. So uh, it's been a little bit difficult. I have friends of mine that are starting to do some events, but it's got a lot of regulations with it where it's like, you know, obviously the X amount of people, you can't have full capacity. Um, it's not open till, you know, two, three o'clock in the morning. They're closing like at midnight. Um, and when they do, they you're kind of confined to your little area where it's a buddy of mine had posted a video. He was DJing and playing good music and he's jumping up and down, but then he does like a front shot view. And everybody's just kind of off to the side and the dance floors is really scattered. It looks, for me, visually, it's weird. Because I feel like I'm not doing my job or I'm not rocking the crowd. They're just confined to their own space. So everybody's trying to work within that box and they're trying to figure it out. And they're hoping by the summer, maybe. We'll see. Maybe we'll get some summer events getting in. So, I mean, just keeping the fingers crossed, you know. I know. I know you're, you know, as a performer, you feed off the crowds. So if you don't have a crowd, you're just like, <laughs> you don't know what the hell to do to, like, so it, it, like yeah <laughs> yeah like i seen him and he had another one of our friends filming so you know he's doing his thing and he's going like that and then they do the crowd shot and everybody's just kind of standing around and they're holding their drinks and it's just it's he's not doing a bad job you know but it's one of those things where they can't really wild out and get too close to each other in the dance floor so it's it's just awkward you know it's just like looked a little bit awkward wow well thank you for joining me today this is my First deep cuts of 2021. <laughs> so oh, well, thank first, you for having me. I appreciate that it. From a very long uh, hiatus. <laughs> no, I'm glad that I was able to come out and you know break the hiatus and dust dust off the deep cuts. You know. Yeah, definitely. You know, for those who haven't seen this deep cuts thing, so what I like to do with these is introduce people to different people that I know or people I've encountered online and. Um, you know, help people get to know different people in the industry. Uh, and this, this, I would say season, there'll be other people outside of just the industry as well. So it'll be a fun kind of get to know other people in other industries. And, um, but I thought, you know, when I was sitting around the other night thinking I was, I was waiting for that feeling to come back of like, I'm ready to get back to do this. Cause I knew that when I was 
came back, I wanted to be able to just really charge through and do this regularly. So I said, you know, I felt like you would be a great first guest because I was thinking about you and I encounter each other at these different events and just the energy that you bring to these events and how we never really have a chance to talk though at these events because you're usually just sitting there busy trying to keep the vibe up and I'm usually pulling in 10,000 different directions. So uh, I guess as we're both waiting for the world to kind of open back up for real, uh, this is like a great way to kind of touch base and, and say hello and get to know a little bit more about you and what you do. No, you're right. You said it on the dot. I mean, especially with the trade shows, trade shows get so crazy. I mean, between you getting pulled in a thousand different directions, then I'm providing the soundtrack for the booth where I'm at. And then it's like, I'm there all day. You know, people come up to me and they're like, oh my God, this is six hours of street mixing. Like, how the fuck do you do it? You know, and I'm just like, I'm built, you know, I mean, I'm built for this. I've been, I've been DJing since I was 14, 15 years old and I just, I'm feeling it and I'm going, but definitely at the end of that night, you know, or let's just say at the end of the trade show day, I'm like drained, you know, and then everybody's like, hey, we got this after party dinner. We got this other after get together. Do you want to come here? It's like, I just want to eat something and just like lay down and let my back just kind of woosah, you know? So uh, yeah, I'm definitely looking forward to this because it's always a real quick, hey, what's up? What's up? How's it going? You go your way and I'm still doing my thing. So exactly. it's going to be great. So I always like to start at the beginning when, when for me, the beginning is like, how did you, you know, get into the music and the DJing and what was your background, you know, cause I know that you, you do other stuff other than just, you know, DJing. So what's, what's the 411 on, on you and how did you get involved in all this stuff? Well, growing up musically as a kid, uh, the influence between both my parents, my father was a super 60s, 70s soul person, you know, everything from Earth, Wind and Fire to Temptations to all over the spectrum. And then my mother was your, you know, your Led Zeppelin and your Hendrix all the way to the 80s to your Blondie and your hip hop and your Curtis Blow and your Run DMCs and Alakuja. So my home was just a home of always music, especially on Saturdays, my mom would put on music and, and play music. So when it came to the love for music, it was always there as a young child. And growing up, um, being very fortunate to grow up in Chicago, where our DJ scene is a great, awesome scene. Um, especially when I was a young kid growing up in the 80s and 90s with the Mix Master, the Hot Mix 5. Um, these are crews in, that help create and cultivate house music. And, um, you know, it'd be one of those things where when my uncle would uh, pull up his car every Friday night, you know, we would all be out in the neighborhood and then when the weather was nice, not in the winter, obviously here, but um, he would put, like, you know, he'd play these live, the, the mix masters would be mixing live on the radio and people would go nuts, you know, they'd be like, oh my God, that's my song, oh my God. And it was something as I would sit there, I would be like, I, I would be like, man, I'm like, they're really like going nuts over the song that these guys are mixing and the blending and and everything. So at the same time, the movie Juice comes out. I don't know if you're familiar with the movie Juice and you got them chopping it up and he's mixing and scratching, doing his thing and he's rocking crowds. And now we're at the point where hip hop's becoming more mainstream. Um, and it was like all those worlds colliding. And I was like, man, I think that's what I want to do. Like, I mean, when you're in school and they ask you when you're young, I'm like, oh, I want to be a police officer, you know? <laughs> and as I got older, I was like, no, I'm going to be a DJ, you know? And uh, yeah, as, as time came on, um, I ended up gratefully, my mother scrapped, you know, was able to scrap up and get some pennies together. And she got me my first turntable set and said, here, she's like, this is your dream. Go ahead and do it. She's like, just give it a shot. And um, 
Yeah, she gave me the turntable. My, uh, my uncle Robert had a whole collection of vinyl, which I still house a lot of it here, which is a lot of old school stuff, so I can mess with it. And I just started like that, man. I just I started doing things like that and practicing and getting into it. And um, the first party that I was able to to rock per se, if you want to call it rocking, was my cousin's birthday, and he, he just said, "Hey, uh, you know, come come mix my birthday party." It was a basement party. And if there's anything, especially with Latino families, I'll let you know the truth right off the bat. So, you know, you had a couple that were like, oh, it's good. And I was like, this doesn't sound like the guy on the radio. You know, <laughs> it's like, shit, give me a chance. I'm just starting out. So that's how it was the beginning. It was just a strong musical influence for my family and me wanting to just be a DJ. Like I was real, it was real, I was real enamored with wanting to mix and, and hold it down. And um, not to get to the end of the story, but then it turned into doing live shows first. I was doing live shows for an artist that turned into nightclub gigs. And then that just kind of morphed and kept rolling down. So what's your go-to, like, get the crowd hype song that, you know, you have to have, you have to mix into the, your set for the night? You know what? Uh, it's, a good, it's a real good question. Um, it's, you know what? It honestly depends on the crowd that's in front of me. So, like, and I'll take this back to, like, doing TPE the last couple of years. Like, if I'm on the trade show floor, it's hard to give you because people are handling business. They're talking. They're catching up. Maybe industry friends that haven't seen each other or crossed paths in a while. So I try to just create a vibe. So there, there's different vibes I create. I'll kind of look what's going on. I might go to the, some old school rock, some 80s, um, some, you know, a little bit of retro music. But then when we do the, when I did the night life thing at Sierra um, and their nightclub area, you know, I was able to toss and kick, kick started off with some Pitbull. Pitbull always get the crowd going. That's an up-tempo. He, all his music's up-tempo with house samples. So I'll get something where it's a little pitfall going. And then if I want to get into old school hip hop and kick the party off with some old school hip hop, you can never go wrong with some classic LL Cool J, some, you know, Eric B. and Rakim, you know, and um, a little bit of that. So those are, it always, it varies. I never had that one song where I'm like, this is what's going to, because I mean, you could play Little John's to the window to the wall, to get low. <laughs> That's always going to make people go, get away, and they'll do the dances and stuff. Um, but I just, I kind of feed off and see what's in, in front of me. You know what I mean? Well, whoever's in front of me, I just kind of see what, what kind of vibe they got. And then I have those songs in my mind at that moment. I'm like, this is going to get them going. So how did you get hooked up with the Drew Estate world? So for the Drew Estate world, there, there's a lot of moving pieces there. So uh, JD uh, loves the city of Chicago, comes, he does a lot of events. He does his UF4 release party every year for Halloween at Casa Monte Cristo. Shout out to Sam and Mike and the whole family at Casa. Um, every October, he uh, he does his UF4 release events. And I'd always go and hang out, chop it up. You know, I've, I've known JD going on six years and some change, maybe seven now. And uh, they would have a DJ that was there. And I, you know, he would always complain about the music. And he knew musically from following me online and us bullshitting, they had a background in DJing. But I never wanted to be that guy where I'm like, hey, 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 uh, let me be your DJ. Uh, let me DJ this for you. I'm like, I've always been an organic person. Just let it happen organically. Mm -hmm. and uh ben pearson who was the, the midwest rep for drew estate was like man we were at the kentucky bar smoker i was talking with him and fabian formerly of drew estate and um they were like man how come we don't have you do the uf4 events and in my mind i'm like that's what i've been saying the whole time <laughs> like yeah you know i think it'll be cool you try to play it cool so they're like we're gonna talk and we're gonna run it and uh jd's like you know what i mean we've talked a lot uh i haven't got i haven't been able to see you mix so the UF4 releases your test. And if you pass my test, you're going to see what I have in store for you. And uh, I said, cool. And I tell you, man, I was shitting bricks. Because I'm like, the <laughs> night before, I'm like, at the butterflies, the day of, I'm like, I got to make sure I have this. And I got to 
digging my bag. Now, talking with JD, I've known his love for hip-hop and 80s b-boy style of music. I'm like, I know in Drew Estates, you know, it was a big hip-hop heavy. Um, so, yeah, at the UF4 release party, um, JD, the event was supposed to end at 10 o'clock. We were there past midnight. Gary, his dad, is going nuts dancing. I mean, the whole place is rocking. <laughs> Sam, the owners of Casa were like, man, we never thought of how having And again, I just like, just like uh, my girl Erica said here in the comments, there's no clout chasing. I'm like, just let it come to me. I just want to let it organically happen. And uh, after it was done, JD and I had a quick powwow. And he's like, stay tuned. And he's like, just stay tuned. So next thing you know, I get a call from Fabian. And he calls me um, just before Christmas, man. And he's like, Hey, we got a trade show coming for with TPE, and um, and on my mind, I'm like, okay. He said, uh, "We're looking to have you DJ. It's the first time we're doing a barn smoker experience, and the reason we want to have you kick this off is because we want to make you the barn smoker DJ. But you can't say nothing because what we're looking at is doing the bar smoker 2.0 with all these different activations, and one activation is you being the DJ for to celebrate Acid's 20th anniversary. Now, some full circle shit." Acid was the first cigar that I smoked, the Blondie back in 08, the Cold Infusion, my favorite. So I was, and that's how I got so into Drew State cigars. And I grew from there to the Undercrowns, the Liga Pravada, the Nika Rosticas. Mm -hmm. And uh, I was like, man, so he gives me the details. I'd say, man, I hung up that phone and I cried. I'm a grown <laughs> man, but I cried like a babe. My wife was like, oh my God, I'm like, full, talk about full circle, you know, to be able to kick off the barn smokers and then to be told, and we want to make you the official. So start out as official Acid 20th DJ. And um, it was, man, it just hit me my feelings, man. It was just something that I wanted to be to do and wanted to be a part of and somehow take two passions. My, I love cigar smoking and I love DJing. And to be able to merge them together, I have to tell you, I, I am the luckiest man in the world to be able to take both worlds and bring them in. And that's how it kicked off, man. I ended up doing a TPE, was my first trade show with them, which morphed into a couple other trade shows for them, which brought in the bar smokers. And then the bar smokers became a big beast and everybody was loving it. They were asking, we hope this is going to be done next year and, and stuff like that. And, and then they became special events for some of their one-off in-store events. I was DJing for them. So that's how I landed with Drew Estate. So like I said, there's a couple moving pieces there, but you know, it's a great foundation to have and, and been enjoying it, man. It's been a blast. So what is that creative process like for you working with your estate because i know that they are a very creative company but i also know that they have a very like they know who they are so they know they have a very strict business sense of, as well so i'm sure you know you're kind of providing an extension of, of the brand and who they are so what's it like kind of working within that kind of environment you know, it's a great environment. You know, it's for everybody knows that Drew Estate is the disruptors in the industry. You know, the rebirth of the cigars. You know, they're the ones that at the trade shows without me, before I even stepped in the scene to do music for them, they had the loudspeakers playing, the music playing. Uh, you know, it's hip hop to its core, New York, Brooklyn, rugged, in your face. You know what I mean? So, like, they've always been that personality, which I felt that was my personality. Like, I'm, I have Eli and I have DJ Eli, which was originally go by with Eli. And which I could turn on. So it's like it fit my personality and it just clashed great. And my love for hip hop and their love for hip hop. But they're not just hip hop on that. I mean, there's everybody, Drew State, as you can see, there's, as we call it, the, all the characters, there's a bunch of different characters, you know. And, and it just kind of was a perfect relationship that just kind of mellowed and meshed in. So, yeah, the atmosphere around them is real awesome. And it just, I'm able to feed off of them. We almost like previously think alike when it comes to situations with the marketing team, we'll be on the same wavelengths. 
Um, and yeah, it's, it's just, it's a real unique environment that I'm happy to be a part of. And it's great. My, so my thought process getting into it, it's, it's like, it's second nature. You know, the last time I got nervous is like, I told you when JD said, Hey, I'm putting you to the fucking test, you know, for the UFO event. And this became second nature. Once I knew I'm like, man, and it just feels like home. You know what I mean? Like I've had other people come up to me, other manufacturers and people and still just, they'll say, Hey, would you be interested? And I'm like, no. You know, not that I'm like contractually locked in, but I'm like, I know whose family, I know who takes care of me, who, who I'm a part of. So um, it just, it naturally fits. That puzzle piece, it just fits right in. So you talked about the cigar part because you, I think in your profile, you say you're the, you know, the smoking DJ. So talk about that a, a little bit more because I don't think people always know that connection. So it's not like you said, it's not like they just found you and you just are just doing DJing for this random company, but you're actually a big part of the industry. You, you're no as a consumer and now as a, an extension of your state. But um, just talk about, you know, where this love of cigars came from and how well, you, how it's developed over the years, I guess. So, yeah. So like you see, you quoted my profile, the cigar smoking DJ, you know, most DJs, they, I have buddies of mine that might dabble in smoke here, there, here and there. But I'm really involved in it. I mean, I worked at a shop part time for a little bit of time. And um, I've been smoking, like I said, since 2008. And cigars to me, it's always been, you know, it's a rite of passage. It's, it's something that gives you the break away from the crazy day. It's something that after a gig, I would light up a cigar. You know, these guys would be like, this freaking guy and his cigars or this guy and that cigar, you know, they go smoke their cigarettes or their other their cigarettes or whatever. And, and I'm like, no, nah, I literally cut me a Robusto, light it up. All right, guys, I'm out here. Smoke on the way home to, to, to reset after a whole night of being up and got to get in the crowd going. So, yeah, and I, my knowledge for it. So a lot of the guys in the DJ industry or music world that dabble here and there, I get so many messages all the time for advice on what to smoke and what should I smoke and have you tried this and I seen you smoke this and um, and to this day, I still, I learn, I learn every day. I, I feel like you're always a student. So yeah, I was able to merge, you know, my, like I said earlier, my passion for DJing and my passion for smoking. And I've always been a huge fan of cigars. They just, to me, again, like I said, lighting up a cigar is like an experience. There's no other to explain. It just, it's literally like a, uh, a vacation, whether that cigar takes you 30 minutes or an hour and 30 minutes. It's a getaway. You're able to light it up, smoke it, and have appreciation. And when you're able to visit these factories, I think when I was able to go to La Gran Fabrica in Nicaragua, in Esteli, my appreciation was already here, but it went like here, you know, because mm -hmm. I got to see them face-to-face -face making it. And it's a, a pure handmade product. And my earliest memory of cigars was my grandmother in Puerto Rico smoking a cigar. My great-grandmother, I should say. Um, got to rest her soul. Uh, she would roll her own every morning, light it up, and she'd be dusting and cleaning. And she had an old school house with an old school little odd, uh, odd house in the back. And she washed clothes the old school way. And she always had that big thing. And my father's like, yeah, that's a cigar. And she'd roll them herself. And my earliest memory is like, man, that's interesting. That's something I would like. I never smoked cigarettes, never done anything else. And I just hop head straight right to cigars. Somebody asked, have you ever had a conflict in schedule? And so how do you choose, uh, which one do you choose, the residency or the event? So I That's guess a good, it's a, you got some good ones. See, I know, Erica, <laughs> you got some good, uh, you know what? I, I try my best to try not to mix both. So I'll tell you a quick little story. I stopped doing 
private events. Private events meaning your your weddings, your sweet sixteens, your corporate events that they would have for like holiday parties, because those book so far in advance. Now DE could come last minute and they could say, Hey, we decided we're gonna have to do this theme, whatever, whatever show or whatever pop up, we need you this date. Now that's gonna take precedent because I'll be honest, I'm more excited to go do that than hang out at one of those other private type events. When it comes to club stuff, the club stuff, my residency is going to always be there. You know, I could eat, it's just like a regular day, uh, day at a job where you say, hey, you know, unfortunately, I got a little schedule conflict. I'm real great with the one club owner that I'm real good friends with um, that I've been having a residency for the last you know, five, six years where I could just say, hey, this weekend I'm going to be out. So even when I was doing TPE, when I was doing Drew State events, I was their resident, but I gave him ample notice and said, hey, this date, can you follow up, find a backup, or I could find a backup for you. Shout out to Sean and Kay. I know their son checked in here earlier, Benny. Um, they're, like I said, like family. So I always would choose the cigar event first, I guess you could say, long story long, because um, I know my residency is going to be there, but I have eliminated doing private events because those books so long, and they're contracts too, where you get contractually committed to a wedding, and I don't want to come to a bride and say, hey, uh, I know you booked this last year in February, now it's May and your wedding's here, and I can't do it because I got to go out of town, so... So to eliminate a lot of that, I ended up just pulling a cord and I stopped doing private events. What's been the wildest event that you've played so far? Cigar related or just general, is just in general? Just DJ. general. Just Gen general. In general, I would say touring. Touring was, man, I could be here with touring stories forever. I was very fortunate to be part of a record label called Billion Dollar Ballers Entertainment. And I DJ for a gentleman by the name of Mars. And uh, I was able to tour with Paul Wall, Tech 9 open up shows for 50 and Snoop Game. The list goes on. Um, same with reggaeton artists out of Puerto Rico. Um, Joely Randy did a stint of their Midwest shows at House of Blues. So I'd say overall, my my favorites were doing the concerts because concerts as a, a whole other level. My memories, my best memory, have to be Minnesota at the Rave. Uh, it was a venue called the Rave. That place was so awesome. The staff was so cool and. They were packed, water wall. People still waited outside, even though they couldn't get tickets and they were still hanging out just to catch a vibe from the outside. And um, yeah, that was, that was, the rave is one of my favorites, just out of pure crowd reaction. Cause I, you know, I'm sure you've been at concerts. I know you love music a lot as well. And you know, when you have an artist that could just point at you while he's singing or she's singing and you feel something. And then to be the person to do that to somebody and that's the best feeling ever, being on tour and you just interact. You just pick, I always would pick a couple people out in the crowd and just interact directly with them and let them know, hey, like, thank you for purchasing this ticket. Thank you for rocking out with us. And if you want, I'm going to be at the merch table if you want to take pictures and do autographs and all that kind of cool shit. So my favorite memories come from touring um, live, doing live shows. Live shows is just completely different. You got a completely different animal. Every city's different. Every environment's different. But the rave, Minnesota is to this day one of my favorite shows, which is one of the posters I have actually in the back of my office here. Um, yeah, Minnesota was a great crowd, great hip hop crowd. Now when you, you know, as a DJ, do you feel the pressure to kind of stay abreast of like, oh, I guess like the popular songs now and work those in somehow to your sets or do you kind of like have, or do you have your own kind of set of music and you're like, this is what I am as a DJ or artist, I'm going to stay here. I ask that because I know um, <laughs> I was watching Wendy Williams a couple months ago and she was talking about Spinderella 
and she was talking about, well, she needs to learn how to be like mix in some other music to her set. She's like, she only wants to play like these old school things. And like the young people these days, they want to listen to, you know, some younger stuff. So it was like, but she's like, and then the DJ on her show was saying, well, that's, that's how she is. I mean, that's, that's her thing. Like she her doing updated music, which probably wouldn't make sense. It just, it, it's not her thing. So do you feel that kind of pressure too, to kind of stay abreast of like all the, like the, the hipper songs of now, or do you just kind of say, this is my area. I'm going to stay here. You know, uh, the thing is, is as a DJ, one of the biggest things is you're a crate chaser. Crate chasers are people that will go crate digging for records. And obviously, as times change, it was digging for CDs, and now it's digitally. So I like finding gems. And I and I was a very, very fortunate to break records for Jason Derulo here in Chicago, to break records for um, for getting his – oh, Jeremiah as well. Jeremiah, a local guy here. And um, I, I was cool. It was cool to be able to find a record that you knew was hot. No one hasn't heard and be and eager. I was get so eager to get to the nightclub and be like, oh, I got this on deck. I can't wait to play it because I know these guys because there are DJs that get stuck in their box. And mm -hmm. I've always like I said, I've always been a fan of crate digging, digging through the crates to finding that either cut that you never heard of or the latest cut. So I try to stay up to date with with, with what's going on and what's playing. Um, do a lot of it I vibe with, not a whole lot, but that's, again, musically for me, a lot of the music sounds, some of the hip-hop nowadays sounds the same. I don't knock it because the crowd, like I said, the crowd that I'm playing in front of could be a younger crowd and they could be feeling it. You know, there's songs that my, my youngest son would come up to me and he'd be like, oh, dad, this is this rapper. And I'm like, what the hell is he saying? You know, when <laughs> I was I was at his age, I was listening, you know, to your Bone Thugs and Harmony and your NWAs and all those guys in the 90s where it was music with content, where music lately doesn't have content. So I don't really pigeonhole myself. I try to play it all. And as an open format DJ, you have to stay on top of your game. And now that DJs are a dime a dozen, you really have to stay on top of your game. You really, you're going to have your specialty, like I said, which my specialty is going to always be reggaeton, hip-hop, and some old school, where that's where I would I love to really mix into. But I'll dabble in other stuff, too, and I'll try to stay current with other things going on. Now, Spinderella's case, I'm sure, you know, she's a chick from the 80s and you know, she's one of the baddest to ever do it and still do it, but she's probably, she knows that music more and dealt with that music more and didn't probably had to be put in a position, like I said, where I first started coming up, I was doing private events. You know, I could do an event, a wedding, let's say, for an all-Latino family, or I could do a Sweet 16 for an African-American family, or I could do just a bar mitzvah for a Jewish family. So they're not going to all listen to the same type of stuff, but they're going to pay you well and you want to be able to rock the crowd. So I was very fortunate to be able to be introduced to a lot of genres and and dabble in so many genres if i open up my laptop and show you all the crates i have the the way i meticulously break them down it's all over the place so i'm able to play it all do, do you think because you talked about like the crate digging and you and i are both into vinyls the thing about vinyls is like it's not an mp3 so you have to go through a lot of work to skip <laughs> to skip a track you know and it makes you listen to the whole the whole album usually because you're just like i'm not gonna even if it's a song you don't like, you're like, I'm not going to get up and pick up the needle to drop it somewhere else and all this other stuff. So do you think like this digital world that we're living in now where it seems like a lot of artists are almost abandoning the whole idea of an album and just going for singles and, yeah. you know, a hit. And that's kind of changing. I guess that kind of makes, I don't know if it makes DJing even any easier or any harder, but it's just completely different because it used to be, an artist would want you to listen to the whole album and now they just want you to listen to 
a particular song so that they make it and then they put together and then they they'll release all these different single you know tracks for like months and maybe later on they'll say okay now here's an album and it'll be like half of those songs that you've already listened to for you know throughout the year and then some new stuff that doesn't really fit at all with it that's true to me the last era that made albums I want to say 90s, but to me, 70s, your rock bands and your 80s bands made albums. An album was from track one to track 12, 13 or whatever, every song was a banger. Like, that took you on a journey. Like, everything was a single. You could, like, and that's why for a vinyl, you didn't have to start playing and moving the needle and jumping it to see which spot you wanted to go to. You were going to sit down, enjoy that ride, drop that needle, hear the crackle and pop and listen to that whole album and then i know in the turn mid-turn later on in music it turned when we were getting cds i noticed that drop off where it was all about the single like let's get the single pop and that's how we started getting one hit wonders more one hit wonders i should say uh because they just yeah they would put together a whole album but it was a single one or two two maybe three if they were lucky singles they kind of hit and the rest of the album were skippable and you could just go skip 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 but these guys when they were making vinyl and in that time yeah they were it was an album these guys sat in recording studios for days on end you know months on and rented homes and were together i don't know if you ever see the movie queen like it would, you know they would rent those right. homes and lock each other with each other all in that house to to write music and create music and now you know songs are done so fast they come in so hot and then they're gone and i think the, the live shelf of songs now is even shorter. You know, it become popular on TikTok and it's a dance and it's hot for a month or two and the next one comes. So there's no time for that song to marinate. So then when they do drop their album, they're like, shit, let me see if I can stretch this out. And like you were saying earlier, add these four or five songs and the rest is whatever. So um, yeah, I, music is not made the way it is before, especially now that record labels are not making the amount of money they were making before because of digital sales and because of streaming. So now it's like, let's get that one song really hot, get all those plays, and let's, you know, do whatever we can to make the most money out of it, you know, get all the publishing dollars out of it versus, hey, I want to sit here. And these, essentially, record labels are big banks. So instead of them dumping all this money into you to produce a whole album, to get a whole A&R team behind you, marketing team, all that stuff, they'll dump X amount of thousand dollars on a single you know, and then mm -hmm. run with it and try to make all that money off that one single versus putting all those dollars up front for that album, hoping that it hits and it doesn't flop. Now, somebody who's really into the music scene, do you go after, like, is there a certain format of the music that you go after? Like, do you go after a vinyl still? Because I know a lot of the artists have shifted over because they are making money, I think some money from vinyls and they are upping the price of the vinyl to like, you know, 30 or $40 just for the, the vinyl. Um, or, or, or do you just not pay attention to the vinyl stuff? And are you just going after that digital track? You know, I go after the digital tracks since I play things digitally. Uh, I do pick up a vinyl here and there if it draws my interest. And I'm like, oh, look at that. That's something cool to have. Like Sam Smith had a cool little double setup. Uh, I'm trying to think who else did I grab. I grabbed so much crap. I can't remember right now. But uh, I think when it comes to that, that setup, um, Right now, the younger generation is in a retro phase. Like, mm -hmm. I see baggy jeans are coming back out. I mean, the other day, I was with my wife at H&M, and H&M selling Lee jeans. I remember wearing Lee jeans to school, and I would get made fun of. Like, that was, what are you doing wearing <laughs> Lee jeans? Hey, those are Lee's jeans, you know? And now it's coming back with a more baggy feel, the chunkier shoes, and this, this love for, for vinyl. 
So I think it's cool that artists are jumping on that. And that's something that you can't obviously digitally replicate. And one thing that I personally miss from albums and CDs at that was opening a booklet and seeing everything. I know. And looking, art. yeah, the artwork, the lyrics. The the lyrics. <laughs> Dude, I used to open those up and that's how I would get DJ drops. I would find out like who was their marketing person or who was their sale, whoever, or a and And I would like, I would shoot hundreds of email, hundreds of email. Not never got all a bunch of responses back, but based off of looking at that. And now digitally, I hop on Spotify, I hit play, you know nothing. You just know the artist is playing. You have no appreciation for the engineer, the producer, the, the master, that's all those pieces that come together. Um, Netflix got a great series with a guy, and I forgot what it's called. Um, but he breaks down songs. Like he had the guy from Nine Inch Nails, and he had on um, Dua Lipa, where he takes the one song and they talk about it from the from the beginning to the end. And I thought that was so cool because they take you into what was going on during the production phase. Like Dua Lipa in particular, she had two songwriters for this particular song that they did for her. And she talked about how it took her weeks to get it done. They're recording in England and this and that. And it shows you other people that how that comes together. Now, I know we're in an era, which I still call the Vine era, which is three seconds, I'm in and I'm out. So you probably might, kids today might not care. Like, I don't care who put this together. But me as a music enthusiast, like, it's cool to find out, oh, that guy that engineered this also engineered that, who also was a producer of this, who produced that. And that's how, like, Jimmy Iovine, before he became a big monster with Interscope, he was doing stuff with all these rock bands in the 70s and played a behind the scenes role. So to me, I've, but I've always been a sucker for a backstory. So to, you know, when it comes to vinyl, it depends. I mean, it depends what I grab. Like I said, a lot of my music I deal with now is digital and I do have Spotify, um, which I listen to stuff on the fly. Um, but if there's a vinyl that's out there that catches my eye, I go ahead and I grab it. You know, I, I have to grab it just out of principle. Does price matter to you? I'm saying, cause like there's some vinyls that I guess were imprint back in the day and then they're completely out of print and they hike up the price of that like would you pay three hundred dollars for a vinyl you know what depending where you live you could find an old retro vinyl shop hell you could go to thrift stores and find old vinyl there so it's better take your chances there i get it because i saw what album was it it was Michael Jackson's Thriller at, uh, not FYE, but it's like a store that's like similar to FYE that sells trinkets, music, and other random stuff. And I looked at it. It might have been Urban Outfitters. So we walked in and I was like, oh shit, they got a dope vinyl collection. And mm, I go look. Urban Outfitters. <laughs> I think it was. It could have been. And then we were just like mall crawling. And um, I looked and I'm like, and it looked like I have a Thriller album. It looked just like it. And it had everything in it. But then you look at the bottom and it says, you know, 1980 or whatever. And it says like 2020. And it's like, and then they're going to charge you, like you said, 30, 35 bucks. And that's a vinyl that was given to me that was purchased maybe for 12, 14 bucks. Mm-hmm. And it's like, not the real deal. Like I'll pay the extra money for some old vinyl. You know, I would go out there and say, oh man, that's a rare one. You know, it's a hard one. I can go find. Okay, cool. Then I'll put the dollar. But for something that's a reprint, I'm not a fan of you charging that much for a reprint. Now you're just price gouging. So... I know that you have started doing your own podcast. What's that yes. been like? And what is, it is, what is, for those who haven't seen it, what's it about? So yes, uh, my wife and I, shout out to my wife, Angelica, we decided to go ahead and um, start a podcast called Bonafide Bullshit the Podcast. You guys can follow it on Instagram at B-O-N-A-F-I-D-E underscore B-S. So that's just Bonafide underscore B-S. Um, and we post all our updates on there, little videos and tad bits, but, uh, it's been an awesome experience. You know, uh, her and I, 
it all kind of started off of like, we're always looking for things to do with each other. She's real big into the workout world and I'm real big into the cigar world. You know, so like I was real big into the music world and she was real big into the creative world. So even though we're on separate paths, we always try to find something that we could do together as a couple. And we always like a lot of my videos, if you ever saw when I do Instagram stories, I am not shitting. I'm looking at everybody in the eyes right now here on Instagram Live, here on Deep Cuts. Like, you know, there's, we don't stage nothing. If I'm able to grab my phone in time to record, it's just funny shit. My kids are both fucking hilarious. They're two clowns. <laughs> and then my wife, like, it's just natural shit that happens, and I'm able to catch on camera. So when we get all this feedback, like, oh, my God, you guys are funny. Oh, my God, you guys have this. And at the same token, I would get hit up about advice. They'd be like, oh, my God, you guys are like the perfect couple. No, far from near the perfect couple. We have our trials and tribulations. I have my positives and negatives. Same with her. You know, there's shit that goes on. And we, what, what the thing is, is we, work, we love each other and we work through it together. So we said, fuck it. You know, I'm like, you know what? I'm like, I, I actually started a cigar podcast that I'd never fully promoted and put it all out there because of scheduling. And um, she's like, man, we should do one. I said, you know what? I already started the groundwork signing up. I'm just going to reflip it and let's do one together. And so every week what we do is we every Wednesdays we release a new episode on, on all the favorite podcast platforms as well as on YouTube. And we talk about different topics. I mean, it'll cover stuff from family, from life, sex, current events, whatever's going on. We're there to bullshit. And we lately we've been getting flooded with people's questions. You know, they're hitting our inbox and want our two cents on things. So it's been fun, man, to do something with your best friend, your wife, to to kind of let it's kind of letting some steam off too. Mm-hmm. Like it's just getting shit off our chest. You had a whole thing on e-learning that e-learning was a fucking pain to deal with. You know, and I'm sure every other parent felt the same way doing it at home. And it was kind of a vent session that just kind of has been morphed into something that's been real awesome. And I've been real happy to do it there. And people are enjoying it. The feedback's been real great. We just clipped over a thousand downloads. And wow. um, yeah, man, it's it's been crazy to, to something that's so small and it's still small, but to be able to go ahead and, and put that out there in the atmosphere and bullshit with people. You know, it's, it's, it's been a real fun podcast. What kind of questions have people sent you? Dude, I've been getting everything from like, if I break up with my significant other, how soon is can I hook up with somebody? <laughs> all the way to yeah, all the way to you know my my I have two boys. I see you. I just have two boys. How do you deal with them when they're hitting puberty? All the way to you know love life questions, whether it's in the bedroom or just in general in love. Like we a couple episodes back, we were talking about a movie called The Love Dare. You know, it's something that kind of reinstills parent um, of I should say parents, a husband and wife's um love for each other by doing small things and they and you talk in love languages like what's your love language you know what i mean is it when you give me something or is it when you do something like as funny as it is and i thought this was like fucking crazy like my wife's like man you know you fucking throw a load of laundry in or you wash the dishes for me oh my god i'll do whatever you want from you the rest of the day but i'm, <laughs> I'm like you mean you don't want the tennis bracelet or you don't want the you know shirt it's like no like it's the simplest thing that's her language it's just me taking initiative of something in the house that she would typically do, and I just do it, you know, and vice versa. One time she's come up to me and bought me a five-pack of cigars, came home and picked five cigars that she knew I kind of liked, and I was like, oh, shit. She's like, here you go, random as hell. You know, so, yeah, we, those are the type of questions we get, and we, we, we try to answer what people got going on, but there's been some crazy ones, man. They, they've been funny, and they're cool to talk about. That Love Language book is, is really it's interesting. I'm listening to that one, the audio book version of that so it makes you kind of sit there and think like oh wow like yeah that's why i get mad at this person because they're not speaking my (laughs) they're not speaking my language you know like they might think 
like in a work context, you know, like, oh, you know, you want more money. And I was like, I might, might not. I might just want, you know, dedicated time or something like that. So Yeah, you don't know. You know, a lot of it's communication. And, I, and I'll tell you, man, when we first got in our relationship, I sucked at communicating. Because, <laughs> you know, growing up with a, with a real stern father, it was like, you don't show emotion, you don't do whatever, you're the man. And you just kind of, that, that gets instilled. And even though in your mind, you're like, I'm not going to do that. But subconsciously, you show signs of it. And um, just being able to communicate instead of just either assuming or you go ahead and you just say, I don't want to fight that fight. Or, you know what? I got to pick and choose my battles. I hate when we say, I got to pick and choose my battles. You're both in a war together. Every day is a war. You know what I mean? It's just a matter of you guys could, at the end of the, the, end of the day, be together in the same bunker. So, yeah, it's interesting to see. You know, a lot of it comes down to communication, just letting someone know how you feel and, and sharing something. And then knowing if that's something they like, then you go ahead and do more of it. And you show them how you appreciate them. And it doesn't have to be. And there might be people's love languages is materialistic. It might be like, oh, I love when you buy me flowers every week. You know, and it's like, cool, that's their thing. Everyone has their own thing. But if you find that niche and you find what they got going on and you appreciate them, they appreciate you right back. I'm glad somebody else read that book because I felt like the only other person who knew that book was kind of like my mom. She was like, oh, yeah, I kind of heard that, you know, heard about that back in the, the 90s or something like that. And I was like, yeah. Well, it started out with Love Dare. I don't know if you ever heard of Love Dare. So Love no. Dare, it's got the, it was the oldest son on, is it Growing Pains? He's, he's real into doing Christian movies. And oh, okay, movies. Kirk Cameron. Yeah, Kirk Cameron. So he did, uh, and yeah, it started out with that, which I think it's called, the movie was called Fireproof or something like that, is what the movie, but it was based, and then in the movie, they're talking about doing the book, The Love Dares, where, because they were having some issues going on in the relationship, and it just kind of reinstilled things to do, and it was little tasks for you to do, and we actually did that back in 08, 09, it was when we, we ended up reading the book and then we actually followed the tasks that were in the book. And I think that made us stronger than ever. And it continues to this day where we still try to do things that we learned from that book and then love languages and you find all these other ones and you're always on the, the hunt. Like I said, I'm always learning. I'm, I'm, I love to keep getting educated. Do you read biographies of like different music personalities? Are you into that kind of books or just diff or is that not your thing? You know what? It was my thing when I was younger. And then um, I got real big into documentaries. Like one of my most recent favorite documentaries was Who Killed Sam Cooke? That was something that, you know, Sam Cooke was a legend in his time. And what he did as the first African-American artist to be in, you know, homes and people to see. And so I get real big into documentaries. Like what was it VH1 used to have behind the scenes? What was it called? Yeah, or something? Behind the music. Behind the music. That was, like the, um, that was like the best. He would sit there just like for an hour and just be immersed in. Yeah, you're like, oh my God, stories. it all makes sense. And lately I've been getting into a couple of, I don't know if, how, if you're familiar with the reggaeton drama, uh, uh, genre of music. Uh, there's been a couple, like there was an artist when reggaeton first started getting real big in the early 2000s, a guy named Hector El Father, and um, who even had to deal with, with Rockefeller, with Jay-Z. And now he's real in the church. But he, I just recently saw his, which was real interesting to see, like, Oh, now I know when he had this song, what that was about and what he was going through and he couldn't leave the street life, but then he was trying to be famous and his home was falling apart and now he found God. So yeah, I get real big into the biography when they're documentaries. Documentaries is what I've switched up to. But I used to read back, back about 10, 15 years ago, I would pick up book ones and, and read them and get immersed and see how what they had going on. Like I said, I'm always a sucker for a backstory. I know you, you mentioned Debbie Harry and Blondie earlier. So she released the one 
Uh, it was kind of like a photo book slash biography last oh. year. So that might be one that you might want to check out because I've been listening to the audio version of that. And I think it's free on Apple Music. At, at one point it was. And you really get to learn how crazy her life. I mean, I haven't even gotten to the blondie years yet, so I'm sure it'll get even crazier. But wow. just her her background is so wild. And the other great one is the Mariah Carey one that she wrote last year. The meaning of Mariah, you kind of think, of Mariah Carey is just really, you know, butterflies and rainbows types person, but you learned that she has a she had a really screwed up upbringing. <laughs> See, I, and I, I that's and that the type one, of it's it, it just like when you read it, you're like, wow, and you kind of understand why she's into the, the Christmas thing, and you understand why she she's you know you understand the, the glitter era, and she talks about the record labels and how her relationships with them have changed over the years and Tommy Matola and all. Of, so if you really like the, the music industry and the biography and stuff, that's one that, that would definitely, I think, be of interest. It's, it's not what you think. Like I said, you kind of go into it thinking Mariah Carey butterflies and, and yeah. kitty stuff. And it's like, and all I want for all. Christmas and the whole the high notes. <laughs> no, I got, you know, thanks for telling me that. Cause I that missed my radar. I love to check both of us, especially Debbie Harry, man. Cause she had, her hands dipped in so much where they was doing stuff with Fab Five Freddy and doing stuff mm -hmm. with Dondi White and, you know, the New York punk scene, graffiti scene. Like, I would love to get – I'm going to check hers out. I'm definitely going to give Mariah Carey's this minute. I know my wife's a huge fan of Mariah Carey. Back in the day, I was obviously too, especially when she broke that mold and collaborated with Bone Thugs and Harmony. You know, it was like – and with Styles P, like, she, she was always ahead of it and doing her thing. And I think you're right. Everybody sees – the the attitude side of her and all that other stuff but there's there's everybody has a backstory so yeah some of the stuff that you mentioned kind of reminds me of what she was talking about in the book you know thinking outside the genres and she talked about the art of the album and how that's kind of fallen by the wayside a little bit now and how you know all the challenges and how she was you know always kind of uh very attracted to the whole r&b world before it was big and you know, she talks about this famous dinner party that she was at with her then-husband, Tommy Matola, and how somebody asked, like, what do you think about, you know, R&B and hip-hop and stuff? And he wanted her to say, like, it was nothing, it was trash, because he wanted her to be, like, this gospel-type singer. And she, that's not what she wanted to do. And she said, I think R&B and hip-hop is, is going to be the future. That's where everything it is. So you read that kind of stuff, and you look at her catalog of music, especially kind of after she left uh, Columbia, and you're like, oh, that's why, she, you know, she went completely, you know, left field from what she started off as. It was like the, the early albums were never really her thing. But it's really interesting. It's like, so I'm always, you know, interested in, in learning the creative process as well, having to work in a creative space. So. No, I, I appreciate you putting me on to that. I'm going to have to check it out. Like I said, Mariah Carey was definitely a force, still is a force in the industry. She has a very unique voice. And like, yeah, I mean, like I said, collaborating with artists you would have never thought of back then to say, oh, Mariah Carey's getting together with Bone Thugs and Harmony. Well, Mariah Carey's doing something with Styles P from the locks. <laughs> you know, it's like, and she thought ahead of the game. And Ty Matola was just an, was an old dude in that industry who liked the old guard, which is like, sometimes the old guard just has to move over. You can't be scared of growth. You can't be scared of change. I've always been a person to embrace change. Change is always for the better, never for the worse. So that's cool. I'm gonna have to check her out. So in terms of cigars getting back to that a little bit to, to kind of close out today we got about nine minutes or so um 
you know, I see that you smoke a lot of stuff, like even outside the Georgia State world. So like, yeah, what do you kind of look for when you're, you're, you're trying out a new cigar? Is it just something that you kind of see and, you know, see in a humidor and you say, oh, let me give it a try? Or is it, is there some method to the madness? Well, it's funny because sometimes some of my buddies blow me shit because they'd be like, well, oh, you're not smoking a Drew State cigar, but you're smoking an affiliate. You know, someone that, you know, and I'm like, well, yeah, I'm like, that's the fam. You know what I mean? Whether it's like a Crown Heads or Aroma Craft or, you know, uh, <clears throat> Room 101, which is one of my other favorites. Uh, yeah, I, I'm Dunbar and Trust with Saka. Like, you know, I, and it's everybody who either had a collaboration cigar with Drew State or had a thumbprint in Drew State's format. But when it comes to me lately, I, you know what, man? I've been on a boutique kick. Um, I get put on by a lot of stuff by Brian Hassan from uh, Pravada Club. And um, I actually w was able to fortunate to to join that that club with the little monthly cigar of the month club. And what I liked about his is he's curated a bunch of you know every month he curates cigars that are just have a unique story or a unique band on the cigar. And so when I look, I just look for something that's a little bit unique, or I'll check out the little story on it. Or if it's got like when they did the Elmo with the little Elmo looking face on it, and you find now that it came out of a factory out of the Dominican Republic that's similar to Davidoff, which I'm pretty sure it might be from Davidoff. <laughs> but, uh, you know, you start finding out those backstories. It's kind of cool. Um, so when I go in a shop, I have my go-tos that I'm going to smoke. And I look for what's, you know, I I'll take a gander and see if there's something that's out there that's new. You know what I mean? Like I said, I again, more boutique. I've been more on a boutique kick lately. So, yeah, I, um, there's been a couple of good boutique brands that are out there. Uh, Pl uh, Platina, which is local here to uh, Chicago, which is a good brand, man. It's That's a real good cigar at a good price point. So I look for some of those small ones. If I'm not smoking one of the big boys, you know, I mean, from Drew State or anyone coming below, even, I mean, I could say Room 101, you know, but Room 101 is, is to me, even though it's boutique eyes, I, Matt's famous and he's out there and people love him. You know, Crown Heads too, you know, John and that whole team make a bunch of good fucking sticks. And um, so either I'll look for certain shops that might carry certain lines from those brands that I mentioned or I'll, like I said, I'll look for something to see, you know, I'll talk to the local tobacconist there if I know him and I'm in a good rapport with him. Because I know some tobacconists might, and this might not be their fault, you know, whoever owns their shop, their B&M, might want them to push a certain facing. Because I've been in that steps. So that's what made me want to leave the shop that I was at. It was like, well, you got to push this facing. And I'm like, well, I'm not behind that sticker. I don't think it's that great. Well, no, push because I got to sell the box of it. No. So I'll get their opinion. Be like, hey, man, what do you got that's, man, you know, try this. We just got this. It has Corojo binder. It has Nicaragua fillers with, you know, this. And so I kind of, I'm all over the spectrum when it comes to, I look for something that pops on a band maybe to me and say, man, this is, they took time to do this dope-ass artwork on this band. Again, going back to album artwork, like, I was sucker for that. I, let me give it a try. And there's been a couple of dog rockets that you can say that I'm like, ah, one-dimensional or something. I'm like, man. I got to revisit this. Oh, what do you mean? This is the only box. They're not making another because they're so small. Yeah. What do you feel about the, I was looking at something on Instagram today and they were, um, one of my, one person was, had a question of like, what are things that, in the industry that you not like? And one of the things that somebody responded to was like all these limited edition stuff that's coming out. Like it's coming out and it's like limited, limited, limited. And it's like so limiting because then you, you know, you, you rush out to get it thinking that it's like that psych, psychs you out makes you think like oh if, if it's limited i have to have it i'm gonna it's tell you something than anything else i'm gonna tell you something right now that i noticed and and i'm announcing it here and it's something that it, it's been on my radar for a while and i was actually waiting to hop on one of 
Amy and Erica's clubhouses because we all have like little vent sessions about the industry, where the industry's at, where's it going. Her, uh, Will McFall and Jack here do a good Thursday night at clubhouse. And we talk about from influencers to everything. But where I was getting at is right now, I feel a little bit the cigar industry when it comes to limited stuff is turning into like the sneaker game. I was a big sneakerhead until now you got guys with sneaker bot computers and they're able to buy everything out and then resell the sneaker at quadruple its price. You know, Sunday morning, I was waiting to get the new Bad Bunny Adidas. Didn't get a chance to get them. I go open up another webpage. A guy selling them for $800, which is a $150 <laughs> sneaker. So I've been seeing that happen lately with the cigars where it's like, well, this is limited only so much. Before, it was already they only made so many boxes because there's only so much leaf, so many tobacco, so much mm -hmm. Connecticut broadleaf that all these guys could get. So they're already limited to X amount of 1,000 boxes. But now you're going to do this one-off and people go chasing for it. And over quarantine, I noticed a big jump in cigar smokers. There are a lot of those driving forces behind purchasing because now they're like, oh, I'm new to this. So I, oh, that's limited. I got to get it because it's limited. It's like, man, I could probably give you something that's a regular production. They probably outsmokes that. No, but this is limited. I'm like, man, I'm a sucker for limited edition shit. The background stuff, I got limited Funko Pops, limited figures, limited edition. My wife always makes fun of me. All you have to put limited edition on and you buy it. When it comes to figures, <laughs> I do that. When it comes to cigars, it's like, I know I can find other ones where I can't find other figures. So to me, I'm a 50-50 with it. I get it. You know what I mean? You do want to make something rare and small, but then you're also creating this, this havoc around people trying to chase it and then buy it and then resell it. You know, you see Smoke in, you know, shout outs to Abe. He does a great job with his team. Um, and they do their releases when they're getting certain limited cigars. But then everybody's blowing up the website. And then you see guys that don't smoke trying to resell it. Well, when I first started smoking and this being in this industry, I had guys giving me $5 cigars and guys having me $50 cigars without even charging me because it's a brotherhood. And now mm -hmm. you got a guy. I know the other day they were, they were moaning on one of the group pages about some guy he came across a couple H99s and he's selling them $45 a pop. And it's like, and they're like, well, how can you do this to your fellow BOTL and your SOTLs and try to, and it's like, cause they got something to gain from it. Me, if I had it, I had extra, there's guys that, I, that you could talk to that I know that I've just sent them a bomb, which is, you know, a package of cigar. They're like, Hey, you got this? I'm like, Hey man, try this. Recently I sent a buddy of mine an acid five. They don't make acid fives no more. He was right. like, dude, how do you get in that? And it wasn't shit for me. I wasn't going to be like, Hey, yeah, I got an acid five, you know, real limited, but I'm going to charge you. $200. And I see that type of stuff and it's it's kind of phony, but I get it. Cigars manufacturers want to go ahead and they want to do their limited releases or their yearly releases like Drew State just did Year of the Ox, which is an awesome, phenomenal smoke, but it's only for overseas. But people were able to buy it. So I like limited in that form where you could right. able to at least be able to maybe get it. Yeah, you're going to pay a little bit extra on shipping, but hey. But I think I'm cool with limited cigars are just not cool with the folks that might scoop them up and buy them up if that makes sense yeah it's the same for, for video games it's like nintendo does this whole you know mario 35 anniversary thing and they said that you know at the, at the end of march none of these titles are going to be available anymore and they were talking about it online the other day about how this game that's 59 dollars you know online and or was 59 dollars online and in, in the physical copy in stores you know, there are scalpers out there trying to sell it for like a thousand dollars. You got a kids during the holidays, PlayStation <laughs> 5. I play PlayStation when I when I get a chance when I do. Uh, but it's like, man, I want a PlayStation 5. And then I, I see somebody that I know doesn't game, doesn't play, but was very fortunate to either get one real quick online or hop in a store and pick one up. And then talking about, I'm going to hold a raffle 
here on Facebook Live, and it's $25 buy-in, 20 people. And it's like, it's like, oh, my God. You know, like, it's, I'm all for someone's hustle, but at a certain level. Like, be realistic. And you're, when it comes to gaming like Nintendo, I remember, like, going through this, the drama with the Switch when quarantine hit. Thankfully, we had just got ours, but I wanted to get another one for my oldest, and people were price gouging on used Nintendo Switches because everybody yep. wanted to play the Switch at home. And it's like... I don't know. We just, we're living a funny time where everybody wants to get one over everybody. It's like, if I honestly, I'm not bullshitting you. If I got it, I'd be like, Hey, I'll sell it to you what I got it for. I'm not, I'm a horrible bargainer and I'm not going to try to like gouge you, but I guess call me crazy or call me unique. That's just the way I operate. So in the last couple minutes before we get cut off, I want to make sure we have enough time to, for you to give all the plugs to your social media, to how people can follow you. Um, you know, the, the, how can they can listen to your podcast. So just give us the whole spiel. All right. So for you guys that want to follow me here on, on Instagram, my personal page, Smoking E, that's going to be S-M-K-N-E. Uh, um, you're going to go ahead and if you guys want to rock out with uh, the podcast that I do with my wife, it's like I said, it's Bonafide Bullshit, the podcast. You can follow that page as well at Bonafide underscore BS. You can see we like an underscore for some reason. You got Smoking underscore E and Bonafide underscore BS. Um, we have a YouTube channel. I have a personal YouTube channel that people could check into, which is just youtube.com forward slash DJ Eli. And there you're going to see an array of cigar reviews. You're going to see stuff from just general reviews of items all the way to when music videos that I was a part of, my touring videos are on there. Um, and in turn, if you want to get into the, the podcast's uh, YouTube page, just going to have to look up Bonafide Bullshit, the podcast on YouTube. We'll come right up. Make sure you guys subscribe. Check us out there. You could also find me on Facebook, just facebook.com forward slash DJ Eli. But uh, I try to stay more current on Instagram. I have a Twitter too as well, twitter.com slash DJ Eli. Um, but I would say I'm more Instagram heavy active on here. So again, you can just, for all everybody who's tuning into this, I appreciate you guys letting me into your device, wherever you're watching this on. And you can just follow me at Smokin' E, S-M-K-N underscore E. I have a tap my bio link in there that it just opened up everything. So in case you don't have to pause or rewind, you click that tap my bio link, everything's going to be in there wherever you can find anything I got my hands in social media wise. Well, I want to thank you for coming on today. Like I said, and being the first one of, of 2021 to do this. So it was fun getting to kind of finally have a, a conversation with you without a trade show going on around us and, and loudness and stuff going on. So no, I appreciate you even considering me. I'm glad I was able to break in the new season for this year. So I appreciate you even considering me, giving me this opportunity to chat with you here. I look forward to eventually catching up with you in person again when we can see one another and, and bullshit a little bit further, if time permits, as we say, because I know we get things get crazy. But we'll have to carve out some time, and we'll have to do this again, man. I really appreciate you uh, reaching out, and this has been a blast, man. I've had a blast. You had some great questions. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, and I look forward to our next encounter whenever that is. All right. Appreciate it, brother. Thanks again. You have a great rest of your day. You too.